Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you this morning. It's been a wonderful day of worship. I'm so happy to see we have so many guests here with us. I'm so happy to see all of you who are here. You love the Lord. You love the truth. And may God be with you. I appreciate all of you. I want to invite you to please get out your Bibles and make your way to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 1 Corinthians, chapter 10. Will you please go there in your New Testament? Believe it or not, but today, this week, is the last week of May. We're actually in the last week of May of 2023. And while this is a beautiful time of the year to me here in the valley, many of you also know that it is a tough time for me as well because around this time of the year, about three years ago, I lost someone very, very special to me. I lost my grandfather who helped raise me in East Texas. You see, my grandfather who helped raise me in East Texas taught me how, a lot of, how to do a lot of different things that, I, that, that still help me in my life today. He taught me how to use a lawnmower and, call, and cut the grass. Thankfully, I don't have to use that skill very much here in Arizona. He taught me how to tie a tie. He taught me how to iron my clothes and how to change a tire. And he even taught me how to drive. My grandfather taught me how to drive. When I was 16 years old, working at a Kroger grocery store, my grandfather would pick me up after work and he would give me driving lessons. He would let me drive around the parking lot at Kroger if it was empty. And he would let me drive around empty library parking lot and an empty mall parking lot. And he even eventually got the courage to let me drive him home. He let me drive him home from the grocery store. In fact, I can remember the first time he let me do that. I can remember getting behind the wheel of the car of his GMC red pickup truck on that night. And I can remember being very, very cautious. I can remember being extremely careful and alert and diligent because even at 16 years old, I knew that getting behind the wheel of a car and getting on the road with other cars, that was a big deal. That was literally a life and death situation. And so I can remember getting in his car and making sure that everything was just right. I wanted to make sure that my mirrors were just right and my seatbelt was secure and, and my seat was adjusted to my liking and, and I had both hands on the steering wheel. And I went the speed limit. And I didn't get too close to the cars that were in, in front of me and I always used my signals when turning and, and I just did everything that I was supposed to do even though that happened 25 years ago. I still remember it like it was yesterday. I still vividly remember being extremely cautious and careful on that particular night. And the reason why I bring that up to you is not just because this is the time of the year when I really start missing my grandfather, but also because I believe that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is urging us to do in this chapter we're reading this week in our Bible reading. For those of you who are members of this congregation, you know they were reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this week, right? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is talking about the need to be cautious. He's talking about the need to be cautious in our spiritual walks and in our spiritual lives. If you remember in 
the last few verses of the previous chapter, chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says that if he didn't do that, if he wasn't cautious in his own spiritual walk, if he didn't discipline himself, if he didn't buffet his body and make it his slave, then he said he could have been guilty of preaching the gospel to other people, but at the same time losing his own soul. Paul says that could happen to him. And that could, by extension, happen to the Corinthians. And that's, that can also happen to us. That can happen to every single Christian. And in fact, not only could that happen to every single Christian, but in the first few verses of this chapter, Paul also tells us that this is what happened to some of God's people in the Old Testament. Paul says that in the Old Testament, there were some people who were blessed by God. They were blessed by God. They were delivered by God. They were immersed by God. They experienced God's presence and God's glory and God's blessings. And yet, despite all those things, because they didn't carefully and cautiously walk with the Lord. They fell away. They fell away from the Lord. And so are you in first Corinthians, the 10th chapter after Paul tells us in the last few verses of chapter nine about how he disciplined his life. He tried his best to live a very disciplined and careful and cautious life in Jesus Christ. After Paul tells us that in the last few verses of chapter 9 and chapter 10, he says this. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they, they, were, they were laid low in the wilderness. Now, these things happened. These things happened as an example for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play, nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Notice how as the Apostle Paul continues making his case about the need to live a very cautious and careful and disciplined life in Jesus Christ, he brings to our remembrance the nation. He brings to our remembrance the nation of Israel. He says that the nation of Israel during the time of the Exodus, they were extremely blessed by God. They were extremely blessed by God. They were blessed to be delivered from Egyptian bondage. They were blessed with God's direction and God's guidance. They were blessed to be baptized or immersed in the Red Sea and brought through safely on the other side. They were blessed with spiritual food, manna, which came from heaven and water that came miraculously from rocks. And they were even, Paul says, blessed with the rock. They were blessed with Jesus. They were blessed to have Jesus, Paul says, watching over them and guiding them as they made their journey. Paul says that Jesus was with them the entire time. They were blessed to have so many amazing things from the Lord. And yet in verse number five, the Apostle Paul tells us that despite all of that, God was still not pleased 
where the vast majority of those people and they were laid low in the wilderness. That language laid low in the wilderness means that they died in the wilderness. They were overthrown in the wilderness. They perished in the wilderness and they did not reach their destination. They failed to be cautious and careful and disciplined in their walk with God. They failed to avoid the various dangers that the devil was put in front of them. And so what were some of those dangers? Well, one danger the Apostle Paul mentions that they failed to avoid. One pitfall for them was the pitfall of idolatry. Idolatry. For those of you keeping up with the Bible reading, you know that we're at a point in 1 Corinthians, we're in a unit in 1 Corinthians, it's really 8, 9, and 10. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 are a unit. And in that unit, we're learning some things about the Corinthians. We are learning that they're struggling with idolatry. They're struggling with going to pagan temples and participating in pagan feasts and failing to consider their influence on other people as they ate meats that had been used in pagan worship. Many of the Corinthians were failing to seriously consider the dangers that, that were found in being lured back into idolatry. And the Apostle Paul tells them here that that's a mistake. That is a big mistake. That is actually the same mistake that Israel made when they came out of Egypt. Going back to the text again in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians in verse 6. Verse 6, after Paul says that God was displeased with the vast majority of Israelites who came out of Egypt and, and most of them died in the wilderness. In verse number 6, Paul says that these things happen as examples for us. As examples for us. So that we would not crave evil things as they crave. I think there Paul is taking a shot at the Christians who are making a big deal about eating this meat that was used in pagan worship. They were craving that. They really, really wanted to do that. And Paul says a Christian shouldn't be doing that. Y'all are craving that too much. You're craving it so much that you're not willing to consider your weak brothers and sisters in the church and how that's going to impact them. So you need to think about Israel and how they craved evil things like you're craving evil things. And in verse number seven, he goes on to explain himself when he says to not be idolaters. As some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Notice how as Paul continues making his case here as he urges these Christians in Corinth to stay away from idolatry. He brings to mind the people of Israel. He brings to mind a very dark moment in their history. He brings to mind a time when they ate and they drank and they stood up to play. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. It should because Brother Rick read it for us this morning. That is a direct quotation from Exodus 32, particularly Exodus 32, verse number six. Do you remember that story? Remember while Moses was away on Mount Sinai? Receiving the law of God, the children of Israel, they began growing impatient. They began growing anxious and worried. They began growing tired of waiting for Moses to come down the mountain. And they decided to take matters into their own hands. They decided to, to take control and seize this situation. They assembled before Aaron, the brother of Moses, and they urged him to make a God who would go out before them. Even though God clearly stated in the beginning of the Ten Commandments 
that they were not supposed to do anything like that, right? Even though God clearly told them in the beginning of the Ten Commandments that they were not to make idols and they were not to make any images of him, they still requested for Aaron to do that very thing for them. And sadly, Aaron is going to do that. Aaron is going to take gold rings from their ears and he's going to use those things to build a golden calf. And he's going to say to the people, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Israel or out of the land of Egypt. Let me just be clear about something. I don't think here that the people of Israel are trying to replace God. They're not saying we don't believe in the one true God. Oh, they believe in God. God has parted the Red Sea for them. They've heard God's voice by this time. They've received God's law. No, they're not trying to deny the existence and their belief in the God who delivered them from Egypt, but they're trying to mold him and shape him in their image. They're trying to make him do what they want him to do and be what they want him to be. That is what they are doing, trying to put a face and an image on God. And so notice what Moses does. Go back to, to Exodus 32, if you don't mind. And I want to show you something there. Because in Exodus chapter 32, when Moses gets word of what's going on while he's away receiving the covenant. In Exodus 32, in verse number 19, look at verse 19, please. Exodus 32, 19 says, it came about, verse 19, as soon as Moses came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger burned. Moses is angry. And he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. The idea there, the, the symbolism there is they've broken the covenant. They're involved in idolatry. They've broken the covenant. Verse 20, he took the calf which they made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. Then Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you brought such a great sin upon them? Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself that they are prone to evil. For they said to me, make a God for us who will go out before us for this Moses the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. So in addition to lying, which we see here clearly, there's a couple of things I want you to notice here. One about Aaron. In addition to not being really honest here, Aaron is displaying bad leadership. Do you see that? This is bad leadership. Now, this is the brother of Moses, right? This is the brother of Moses here. But he's a bad leader at this time. He's passing the book. He's saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault, Moses. The people made me do it. Doesn't that remind you of King Saul a little bit? The people made me do this. It was their idea. He's, he's passing responsibility. Bad leadership. But secondly, even beyond that, notice how in this text we see that at the root of Israel's idolatry in this moment was a lack of trust. It was a lack of trust in God. It was a lack of trust in God's ways and God's timing. It was a lack of trust in what had happened to Moses, the servant of God, while he was away on the mountain. It was a desire to seize control of this situation. Because in their minds, God's not moving fast enough. God needs to move faster here. We are tired of waiting. They want God to speed things up. That's what they want. 
they fell into the pit of idolatry. And I think we need to understand that same thing can happen to us. That can happen to us today. We got to understand something this morning that this problem of idolatry we find with Israel here. It's not just an Israel problem. It's not just a problem we find plaguing the people of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. It's not just a problem we find going on in Corinth. It's not just a problem that often involves in the Bible, people bowing down and worshiping statues. No, idolatry is still a real and present danger in the world today. Idolatry can begin infiltrating our hearts and infiltrating our lives. It can do that when, like Israel, we start doubting and trusting in the clear instructions God has given. When we begin trying to seize control and we want to live our lives however we want to live them and we want to do whatever we want to do, when we start desiring things God has forbidden and we start putting things of this life before God and his will, things like putting our jobs before God, Put our money before God, our pride, our ego, even family members, even our kids. When we start loving our kids more than we love God, guess what we've made those kids? We've made them an idol. They're idols. This can also happen to us when, like Aaron, we start trying to justify the evil that we're doing, and maybe we start justifying our evil because we really don't want to give that up. So we're going to try to justify it. We're going to twist the scriptures or maybe because we don't want to accept responsibility and we want to blame other people for what we've done wrong. Again, isn't that what Aaron does? All that is at the root of idolatry. It's at the root of putting things before God, putting things in our hearts before God. And so one of the dangers on the journey was the danger of idolatry. But there's another one he talks about, and it's also immorality. Immorality. Do not the Corinthians also struggle with immorality? Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we learn about how there was a, a brother in that church, the church in Corinth, who was involved in sexual immorality with his father's wife. And the, and the church wouldn't do anything about that. They were just turn a blind eye to that. And then in chapter 6, we see, we get hints of the fact that they were still struggling with being involved in, with the temple prostitutes and the harlots of the city. And so Paul has to tell them to flee from immorality, verse 18. And he has to tell them that their bodies were temples of the Holy Spirit and they need to use their bodies for the glory of God. The Corinthians, they were struggling with immorality. Some of them were. But they were not the only ones. So was the people of Israel. Paul says the people of Israel struggle with this. In fact, the example he gives here to make his point is found in Numbers chapter 25. Now, we don't have time to read Numbers 25 this morning. But I do kind of just want to sum some things up for you. I encourage you to go home and read that today. For those of you familiar with your Old Testament, remember back in Numbers chapter 25, as the children of Israel are making their journey through the wilderness, the Moabite prophet Balaam persuaded the Midianite king Balak to seduce the people of Israel with immorality. Do you remember that story? Remember, Balaam wasn't allowed to curse the people of Israel. God wouldn't let him do it. And so since he couldn't curse the people of Israel, he says, I'll find another way to get to them. He was aware they had a weakness. And their weakness was immorality. 
Their weakness was committing sexual immorality with women. And so he counseled King Balak to use Moabite harlots to draw them into immorality. And that immorality then led them to get involved in idolatry. And then God brings judgment on them swiftly. God actually sends a plague through the camp. And that plague killed 23,000 people in one day. The people of Israel fell into the pit of immorality. And we need to understand this morning that we can fall into that same trap. We can fall into that same trap today. We can do this when, like the people of Israel, we begin no longer respecting God's will for sex and sexual intimacy and how he has reserved those things solely for marriage. And we can do this when we start getting too close to people of the opposite sex, opposite sex who are not our spouse. And we can do this when we start crossing, crossing purity boundaries. And we start going too far with somebody we're not married to, going too far with our boyfriend or with our girlfriend. And unfortunately, even in our time today, we can do this virtually. We can even do this on our phone or our tablet or our laptop or different kind of apps, sexting, chat rooms, cyber sex, and a whole host of other things that the devil is using in our time to destroy souls and families. This is a real and present danger for us today. And Paul warns us about that. He warns us about immorality and idolatry. And then he warns us about complaining. Complaining. Go back to 1 Corinthians 10 again, please. And look at verse number 9. 1 Corinthians 10, 9. Paul says, after he talks about the problem of immorality, he says, No, let us try the Lord. As some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So notice how as Paul continues talking about the problems that existed among the people of Israel, he gives us some more examples of some problems they had. And the first example is found in Numbers 21. Will you go ahead and go to Numbers 21, please? Because I want to show you something in Numbers 21. In Numbers, the 21st chapter, as the people of Israel are making their way from the Red Sea, and going around the land of Edom, the text says that some of them became impatient on the journey. They were impatient on the journey. They got frustrated. They got frustrated with God's plans and God's direction. And they even got frustrated with the food that God was giving them miraculously from heaven. And so look at verse number four of the text. It says, then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. That's talking about Mount Sinai. This is another word for Mount Sinai. By way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became, became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. Food from God. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many of the people of Israel died. And so notice while complaining and griping and grumbling, Israel put God's patience to the test. 
They put his kindness to the test. They provoked his jealousy and his wrath. And you and I both know that this is not the only time we find Israel doing this, right? They gripe and complain all the time as they journey to the promised land. They gripe and complain about not having bread. And so what does God do? Gives them the bread from heaven. They gripe and complain about not having water. And so God gives them water miraculously from a rock. They gripe and complain about God's bread. They're tired of eating God's bread. And then they also gripe and complain about not having any meat. They say, we wish we were back in Egypt. We had all this good food. They want to go back to being slaves. They gripe and complain all the time. In fact, I believe that when you get to verse 10, Paul is specifically mentioning the occasion when the people griped and complained against God's leaders. Now, we, again, we don't have time to read all that this morning, so I'll sum it up. In number 16, we read about a time when a group of rebels, a group of rebels griped and complained against God's leaders. They griped and complained against Moses and against Aaron. And you know what God did about that? God put down those rebels. He put them down literally. He opened up the ground and the ground swallowed up 250 men. 250 men were swallowed up by the ground because they complained against the leaders God had given them, Moses and Aaron. In fact, the very next day, God also sent a plague through the camp and that plague killed 15,000 people for the very same reason. God clearly doesn't take kindly to complaining and griping against his blessings And my dear friends, we would be wise to remember that. We would be wise to be mindful of that all the time. We would be wise to be mindful of this if we ever find ourselves becoming discontent with the current blessings and provisions God has given us in our lives. We would be wise to be mindful of this if we ever find ourselves becoming discontent in our marriages. Or when God blesses us with healthy children and beautiful homes and cars and food and jobs and vacations and all kinds of fancy toys. But all we tend to focus on is the things we wish we had. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. I wish I had that over there. Then my life would be complete. And we would also be wise to be mindful of this whenever we tend to gripe and complain against God's leaders in this church. And I'm talking about our shepherds. God doesn't take kindly when we gripe against the leaders that he has appointed or when we fail to appreciate this. How if God never did another thing for us in our lives, he's already done too much for us because 2000 years ago he gave us Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. What I want you to see here is this, my dear friends. It, It was idolatry, immorality and complaining that got Israel in trouble. It prevented them from making it to their destination. And you know what Paul wants us to do with all of this? It's very simple. Paul says, I want you to learn from this. I want you to learn some things from what happened to Israel. Go back to chapter 10 one more time, if you don't mind. Just one more time, please. First Corinthians chapter 10. And look at what he says in verse 11, please. First Corinthians 10, verse 11. After Paul gives us this list of pitfalls that Israel fell into, He says in verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example. See, they were an example, Paul says, and they were written, why? For our instruction. Doesn't that remind you of Romans 15, verse 4, the things written four times were written for our learning, our instruction? Same idea. That's why it's there. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come, therefore let him think, let him who thinks he stands, 
take heed so that he does not fall. Now, verse 13, we quote that verse a lot, but now we're about to get the context of the verse. Because in verse 13, he goes on to say, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful who will allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation provide the way of escape also so that you'll be able to endure it. I want you to notice three things here very quickly, very quickly. Three lessons that Paul says we need to learn from what happened to Israel on their journey. The first thing we need to learn, Paul says, is we need to learn to be humble. We need to learn to be humble. We need to learn to humbly acknowledge that if these people could fall away, if these people could leave the Lord, if these people could perish on the journey and miss out on dwelling in the promised land and they saw miracles in Egypt. And they saw God part the Red Sea and God immersed them in the Red Sea and they ate God's bread from heaven and they drank God's water from a rock and they received God's law at Mount Sinai and they were led by the rock who is Jesus the Christ. If these people could fall away and they experience all of that, Paul says, you better understand you can fall away as well. If they could do it, we can do it. And it doesn't matter if we have been baptized into Christ. And it doesn't matter if we're currently Christians. And it doesn't matter if we were raised by Christian parents and we had great Christian grandparents. And it doesn't matter if we've been studying our Bibles and praying and going to church since the time we were very small. Paul is saying here that if the Israelites could be overcome by the dangers of idolatry and immorality and grumbling, then we need to humbly acknowledge that we can be overcome by those things as well. We can fall away as well. We can miss our destination. We can miss the spiritual promised land. That is exactly what Paul means when he says in verse 12, therefore that him who thinks he stands, take heed that he does not fall. Don't be so arrogant to believe that you can't fall away. You can fall away, I can fall away. Sean Jeffries, even though he preaches the gospel, he can fall away. I can fall into these pitfalls. And we all can. That's what Paul is saying. We need to be humble. And we need to avoid being foolish. By this point, this is what we mean. We don't need to foolishly believe that the problems that Paul is speaking about in this text can only be applied to the people living at that time. It can only be applied to the Israelites. We don't need to walk around saying, well, that was the Israelites. They lived a long time ago, way, way, way a long time ago. That's, not, that's got nothing to do with us. We, we can't deal with that stuff today. Paul says that's foolish. Look at chapter 13, the first part of chapter 13. No temptation has overtaken you as is what? As is common to man. What's the Apostle Paul saying there? Well, he is saying there that the devil, our great enemy, he doesn't have any new tricks up his sleeves. He doesn't have any new tricks. He's not in a lab somewhere with a white coat on concocting up some new way and some new dangers to cause God's people to stumble while we do live in a time of great technology. And while we do live in a time of great innovations, the fact of the matter is the evil that the devil is using today is the same kind of evil he's always used. It's the same stuff. It's the same tricks. It's the same tactics. Like he attacks our hearts and attempts to put idols in our hearts. That's what he did with the people of Israel. 
Like he attacks us with temptations of sexual immorality. That's what he did with the people of Israel. Like he attacks us with pride and ego and ingratitude and discontentment for our blessings. That's what he did with the people of Israel. The devil is doing the same stuff today that he's always done. He's got nothing new. No new tricks. He's operating the same way that he's always operated. And the only way we're going to be able to defeat him is we got to be fully dependent on God. You got to be fully dependent on God. And that looks at the second part of chapter of chapter 10 in verse 13. No temptation is overtaking you, but as such is common to man and God. The focus is God. God is faithful. Who not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape also that so you'll be able to endure it. Notice how Paul emphasizes God here. And I want you to notice two things that he says about God when it comes to us battling temptation, because we all battle temptation, do we not? We all battle temptations. And Paul says there are two things we need to remember about God as we battle temptation in our daily lives. First, we need to remember that while the devil throws temptations our way every single day, while he tries to draw us away from God through idolatry and immorality and ingratitude, God remains faithful. God remains faithful and trustworthy. And if we trust him and follow him and do what he says, he promises to help us. He promises to rescue us. He promises to not let the devil tempt us beyond what we're able to bear. That's a promise that comes from God and it is to be applied even today. We need to remember that promise today. We especially need to remember that promise whenever we're tempted to whine and grope and, and, and gripe and complain whenever we sin and, and we say, well, you know, I just couldn't help myself. I, I couldn't help myself. The devil was too strong. I couldn't resist doing this. Paul says, that's a lie. That's a lie. We can help ourselves. God will help us if we trust him. In fact, in addition to that, notice how Paul says that God will always provide a way of escape. That's very interesting. What does that mean? Well, that means that no matter what tempting situations we find ourselves in, there's always a way out. There's always an exit door, just like there are exit doors on airplanes. There's exit doors when you watching the movie in the movie theater. There are exit doors all around this church building. There are exit doors when it comes to battling temptation. The exit doors are there. God gives them to us. And that doesn't mean we need to walk around being foolish and intentionally putting ourselves in tempting situations. But it does mean that if we find ourselves in a tempting situation, there's a way out of there. There's a way of escape, and that way of escape may not be an easy way. It may not be a popular way. It may not be a way that our friends are going to approve of. It may not be the way that we want or the way we think is right, but if it's in line with the word of God, then it is right. It does come from God. It is God providing us a path out of sin. But we got to do like Joseph did. And we got to choose to take that path. We got to choose to take it. And so we'll have more to say about this text on Thursday night, Lord willing. 
But for now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this away. and You've listened so well, and I appreciate it. I truly do. I appreciate it. I want you to take this home. As we travel to our spiritual promised land, we need to be mindful of some things. We need to be mindful of the dangers on this journey. We need to be cautious of these dangers. We need to be dependent upon God and one another as we battle these dangers. We need to do all we can to avoid these dangers and avoid allowing them to cause us to miss where God wants us to go. There are dangers on this journey, but we can overcome them with God. In fact, maybe you sit there this morning, you realize that you've not even begun the journey. Maybe you sit there this morning, you realize that you haven't even started walking with the Lord to that spiritual promised land. If that's the case, then you can change that in the next few minutes. If you're willing to have real faith in the Lord, real faith that requires belief in Jesus the Christ, repenting of your sins and being immersed in the waters of baptism, you can be part of God's family. You can begin this journey with us to Canaan, spiritual Canaan. Or if you are a Christian and you've gotten off the right path, you're no longer traveling with us because maybe you've given in to some temptations. You've given in to idolatry, immorality, grumbling. You get back on the right path through repentance and through prayer, and we'll help you with that this morning. And so if there's anyone here who has any kind of spiritual needs, make them known at this time as we stand and we sing together.